With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe-Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lock-away channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pampers Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you, thank you, thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. Jennifer De Leon spent a decade teaching in public schools before making the leap into higher education and committing herself to her writing. Her newest YA novel, Borderless, follows a teen girl and her mother as they set off on a perilous journey from Guatemala City to the U.S.-Mexico border. Jen and I talk about the delicacy of writing an immigrant experience that is not your own, and the very surprising action. Not hard work, not writing groups, not butt in the chair, that truly allowed Jen to step into her future as a writer. Jen, thanks so much for doing this. It's my pleasure. All of your bios say you grew up in the Boston area, and I'm just going to need more detail than that. Where did you grow up near Boston? So I was born in Jamaica Plain. and yeah, when I, I knew was... it. I knew it was JP. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. That's my whole family lived there. And when I was two, we moved to uh, a suburb of Boston. You're born in the United States. Your parents come from Guatemala. What were the stories growing up that they told you about Guatemala? They told us so many stories, you know, in English and Spanish, at the kitchen table, in the car. And the stories were always ones of pride about being from Guatemala and also struggle. They were not shy about letting us know that they moved to the United States for economic reasons, primarily, and that they were here in order to give us the opportunities that they could not have. So that was really saturated in every story that they told. You graduate from Connecticut College with a double major, international relations and French. You earn a Master of Arts in Teaching from the University of San Francisco's Center for Teaching Excellence in Social Justice while you were doing TFA. What was it that was drawing you to teaching? 
I had always loved working with kids. I babysat since the age of nine, but teaching was not something on my radar. To be honest, I thought I would be working for the United Nations in West Africa. I did an internship there in college, so it, it felt very plausible. My first job out of college, I worked for Congressman, now Senator Ed Markey, and everyone told me it was such a great job and that I was supposed to love it. And so I was really confused when I didn't, not because of him, but because I just felt like I wanted to have more hands-on experience. And Teach for America was on my radar. And when I applied, I was assigned to teach in the Bay Area, and I had never been to that part of California. And that's what I did. I filled my car with suitcases and drove out west. And it was life-changing because it set me on a path to teach. But it also introduced me to another side of Latinidad that I frankly did not experience on the East Coast. I mean, these were Chicanas and Mexicanas, um, really proud and loud Latinas in the Bay Area. And I just felt so alive in a way that I hadn't been before. Is there an early memory or a most vivid memory from teaching that you take with you? That first year, I taught third grade and I had 20 students and they were all, every single one was either from Mexico or Vietnam. And Vietnam is also a place I had studied abroad in college. So I just realized that what I was experiencing in the classroom was a kind of re-education. Here I was suddenly face-to-face with international relations in a way that was very practical. And it's also when I felt I had something to say with my writing. Whereas before, I think I was more exploring feelings and documenting events that happened to me, which was very useful and helpful on a personal level. But I just felt like I needed to use my voice in a different way. You spent 10 years in public education before making the jump to higher education. What was it that was motivating you to make that change? Definitely writing. I always was interested in writing, but I never believed that it was something I could actually do. It it felt like, oh, I could go to space. You know, it's possible. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like I suppose people have done it. Like I could, but not me. I won't. I didn't know anybody who was a writer. All of the writers I had read were um, dogs, D-O-W-G, you know, dead old white guys. And I just was constantly exposed to Ernest Hemingway, Richard Yates, Raymond Carver. And I admire these writers, their work, but I did not read a book by a Latina author until I was almost 19 years old. Oh my God. Yep. And it was The House on Mango Street by Sandra Cisneros. Yep. And it was life-changing. And so it took a while for me to gather the ganas to pursue writing professionally. And that's why it took so long. You know, I was stringing together teaching and taking classes at night, writing, going to conferences. I studied with Juno Diaz and Zizi Packer and Chris Abani. I was in a Voices writing workshop. I went to Breadloaf. Like I did all the things. I was hustling. But it still takes a while. It takes a while. So it takes ganas. It takes going to all of those things. What else did it require to get your first book published? Oh my goodness. I mean, there's so much that goes into it because like you said, there are the practical pieces. I'm a good student, right? I'm able to check those boxes. I have a strong work ethic. I'll wake up early, go to bed late, all those things. 
But what I think was really missing was this core belief that someone like me could actually do it. And what helped with that, aside from finally reading books by other women of color, writers of color, was having a kind of face-to-face conversation with my parents about my career. It's very common, right, to be raised to believe you can do it all, but we actually mean, please become a lawyer, doctor, etc., teacher, maestra, that was honorable, that had a pension, they had health insurance. And so when I was 28 years old, I was teaching and I was in grad school for writing. And it was my return of Saturn, I guess, that happens when you're 28 years old. And I decided to quit my job, sublet my apartment, and take savings and book a one-way ticket to Guatemala, which is where both of my parents are from. And they thought I was crazy. This was a place that they had essentially fled from in the 70s. And we'd been back many times, but never for me to live. And I wanted to study Spanish. I wanted to learn more about the history and the Civil War and politics. And I wanted to write a novel. And they were really confused. You know, they were like, wait, we thought you were going to buy a condo. You know, like it just was not on the map for them. But to their credit, they were very supportive. I think for a while, my mom asked questions that were pointing out her desire to support, but her lack of understanding of the kind of topography of writing and publishing, right? So she would ask, like, how long is a novel? And I would say, I don't know, it depends. And she'd say, no, but like, how long really? And I'd say, I don't know, maybe three, 400 pages. And then she would say, well, what page are you on? Because she wanted to cheer me on to the finish line. But it just doesn't work that way with creative writing anyway. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blowout barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size eight, and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important, and it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. 
Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer, M&M's for all fun kind. Let's talk about how it does work with creative writing. I have talked to writers who are very precious where, you know, when they're going to do a new project, they clear their desk, they put photos on the wall, they light candles, they have elaborate rituals. I have writers who say it's all about butt in the chair, butt in the chair. And I have, I got to tell you, I have a lot of moms who have written full novels in their car in between kid drop off and pick up. What is your process for just getting it done? My husband and I have this, you know, we say GSD, like just getting-ish done. You know, you have to. And for us, that might mean working to a deadline. So it means going to a coffee shop for 45 minutes. It means getting a babysitter to hang out with our kids while we're upstairs working. It might mean he takes the boys to the aquarium and I have three amazing hours to myself. I have lots of readers. I'm part of many writing communities. And so I don't feel like I need to do it alone. But definitely what helps is knowing that it's real work and having a, my parents now at this point just really value it and seeing it as real work. First writer in the family, not easy, not easy for anyone. And anyone who's out there who is the first writer in the family, I, we come from trailblazers, you know, and people in our family have done this in many ways, so we can do it too. Borderless has the benefit of not being your first rodeo. Talk to me about the experience of Don't Ask Me Where I'm From versus Borderless and the mistakes you made the first time around that you were able to avoid on your second book. Yes. It reminds me of having children. Like <laughs> what mistakes you make with the first that you The won't. mistakes you make with the first that you don't make with the second, but also the things you recognize are outside of your control. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Right. And for me, Don't Ask Me Where I'm From is my debut novel, and it came out right at the peak of COVID, right, during lockdown. So I had all these plans to go to festivals and schools and conferences, and I had a book tour planned, and all of it, it was just one after another, canceled, canceled, canceled. I pivoted, and we did everything virtually, and in some ways, right, there were some silver linings to that, but I still feel like a hole in my heart. Like I didn't get that experience. And then when my next book came out, White Space, Essays on Culture, Race, and Writing, I felt like, okay, I know how to do this virtual thing. And it was wonderful, especially to be in conversation with other Latino writers across the country virtually. But then now with Borderless, it feels different because it's in person. And this is definitely the hardest book that I have ever had to write. It tells the story of 16-year-old Maya Silva, and she is living in Guatemala City, which I intentionally wanted. I wanted a book about a teenager, a quote-unquote normal teen girl in Guatemala, living her life, doing her thing. She's not dreaming of coming north, right? And she... To the contrary, she has dreams that are very much in Guatemala City. Yes, yes. She's a fashion designer. She is really close with her mom, who's a single mom. You know, she's got her best friend. She's got this new love interest. Life is good. And she's in the wrong place at the wrong time one day. And she cannot 
undo this. It's a point of no return. And she and her mother are suddenly running for their lives. And in the dead of night, they decide to go north. I wanted to tell this story because it's different than many of the narratives we see in the media, right, about Central American people coming to the United States. And I felt that it was important specifically to write for young adults, although I hope many people read it, right, but the young adults, because they are going to be our game changers, right, our decision makers, our policy makers. Like, and if they don't have varied stories about the U.S.-Mexico border, we're in trouble. We're in big trouble. There is, of course, the tricky element of this, which is it is a story you have proximity to, but it is not your story. What were the complications? What did you have to do in order to write a story that wasn't squarely based in lived experience? To be honest, I wrestled with that at the beginning. You know, I felt like, is it my place to write this story, even if in fiction? I felt that I was, like you said, close to Guatemala. Much of my writing centers Guatemala. And this particular story is about a mother and daughter separated at the border, among other things, right? But that does happen. And I don't have that experience. My parents became U.S. citizens before I was born, and I was born in the United States. But when 2018 hit, I was pregnant with my second son. And I just remember in the thick of it, that spring, that late spring, everybody was suddenly marching and taking to the streets. And I could not. I was very pregnant. And I decided to start writing this story because it was my way of marching. It was my way of doing something. And that is what kept eclipsing any doubt I had. Is this my story? I also did research. You know, I went to the border. I went to McAllen, Texas. I interviewed migrants. I read articles and policy papers and books and documentaries I watched. You know, I I definitely tried really hard to, quote unquote, get it right. But knowing that I don't have this lived experience. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. When you are writing for young adults as a mother, as an educator, as a writer, how are you assessing how much a teen can handle? It's so funny to me because so many people will say, oh, I would love to write YA, but I I just can't because it's just too intense. Or there's a scene in my novel that is too violent. It couldn't be YA. Or the subject matter is just too much for YA. And I, I just laugh inside because YA is not what it was 30 years ago. It just is an umbrella to all these matters, social justice, um, themes that are in the news. I, I absolutely think that YA is a space that can hold so much. And I'm glad for it because these are books that young people are assigned, books that are on reading lists, summer lists, books that tias and tios, you know, buy for their kids. It just feels so important to have 
young people, um, they're already exposed to it all. So let's just be honest. They're already exposed to it all. So why not give them a story where they can come to conclusions themselves rather than just be given whatever is on the news quickly? You said something really powerful earlier about the role that these books can play in shaping a young person's thinking about the world, about social justice. It strikes me that when you release, don't ask me where I'm from, we're at the height of the pandemic. You're releasing this now, you're releasing Borderless in a moment when there are fraught political conversations about banning books in this country. And a lot of those books have to do with race, with ethnicity, with the most complicated and unsavory elements of U.S. history. For you, again, as a mom, as an educator, as a writer, how does that impact your work and the young people that you're trying to reach? So much, so much. I feel such an urgency to do this work. I really do. It feels so critical to me to create space for these stories that are intentionally being left out of textbooks, stories that are um, being erased, physically removed from bookshelves, sometimes taken out of students' hands. We saw that in Arizona. We saw that in New Mexico. We saw that with so much that's happening right now. And the thing about it is it's not only hurting the students or the young people who might see their lives reflected in these stories, it's hurting everyone. It's hurting the students who really need this window into these experiences, who might not know anything about Central American immigration or immigration in general. So I feel that it's, I hate to say it, but the word timely isn't the right word. It's more like imperative, you know, that this is happening now. This is a book that I have always wanted to have in the world, but it just feels, I don't know, a little bit, yeah, I guess timely. I don't know how else to put it. It feels like it's the right time. I love that as a writer, you are so committed to getting the right word. I love it. Always. You're going to call me in the middle of the night. You're going to be like, <laughs> no, if I figured out what the right word is. Jen, what did I miss? Oh, my goodness. I just thank you so much for creating space for this conversation. I want to tell people listening who are interested in writing, who want to write, that you absolutely deserve to be a writer and to be writing in this world. It took me a long time to, like I said, get the ganas. But once I did, once I started on this path, it only makes me want to make the path wider for others. It really does. I love that. Jen, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantigua and me, Alicia Menendez. Paulina Velasco is our producer. Cochin Tashiro is our lead producer. Trent Lightburn mixed this episode. We love hearing from you. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Slide into our DMs on Instagram or tweet us at Latina to Latina. Check out our merchandise at latinatolatina.com slash shop. And remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, wherever you're listening right now. Every time you share the podcast, every time you leave a review, you help us to grow as a community.
a little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author, Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.